We keep talking about new as it relates to the Bible, and today we're reminded that people are fishing all the way through the Gospels, so today it's new catch, seen in one of these texts, the fifth chapter of Luke. Listen for God's word. Once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gesenerit and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long but have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. When he had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, for now on you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to the shore, they left everything and followed Jesus. The word of the Lord. I think we live in a world where sometimes it's hard to distinguish what is shallow and what is deep. Warren Buffett tells a story about a fellow who was on an important business trip in Europe when his sister called to tell him that their father had died. Her brother couldn't get back but said spare no expense at the funeral. He would take care of all of it. When he returned, his sister said it was a lovely service and presented him with bills totaling about $8,000. He paid up, but a month later he got a bill from the mortuary for $10. He paid that too, as well as the one that came the next month for $10. When a third $10 invoice was sent to him the following month, the perplexed man called his sister to ask what was going on. Oh, she said, I forgot to tell you, we buried dad in a rented suit. Okay, you're by far the quickest of the three services on that. Congratulations. Just like the disciples in the fifth chapter of Luke, we can easily toil in shallowness, shallow decision-making, shallow imagination, and not even know what we're missing. Invitations to shallow life abound. Media outlets, of course, will report to us the label global crisis, but what they really want to share with us is the latest on the Real Housewives of Orlando or Cabo or someplace. The plight of children in Travis County in food insecure homes is immediately obscured by an update on the latest $100 million NBA contract. When the crowds gathered around the lakeside that day, Jesus was surrounded by a crowd hungry for God. The text says they were pressing in on him. This was a group of people who needed a guide from the shallow to the deep. Notably, Jesus didn't tell them that they needed to get away from their ordinary lives to find this depth. 
You don't necessarily need to go on a retreat or find a special contemplative path to engage the depth of faith. It can happen in any moment, every moment. It can happen in any day. It can happen on this day. Jesus could have provoked accusations of backseat fishing when he told the weary fishermen to head back out and put their nets into deeper water. But at Jesus' call, they head out, they drop their nets, they go to the depths, and the catch was so great, their nets were breaking. Famously, Jesus tells them, for now on, you will be catching people. But that's a translation that misses the dynamism in the Greek that has Jesus telling Peter that they will literally be taking or saving men and women alive for God's work. To take men or women alive, that's a very different image than simply catching them as though they're about ready to be consumed. The Greek verb here describes rescue from the peril of death, not creatures in a net writhing in their last gasps. This is about people living the life of God's good news in its fullness. This all happens in deeper water. What does being in deeper water look like for you or me? What does it feel like today to live in deeper water? Deeper water, for one thing, calls us to live lives of forgiveness. The father of one of the children killed at the Amish school in Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania in 2006 was asked about his unimaginable loss not long ago. He was asked about forgiveness. For me, forgiveness is giving up my right to revenge, he said. In our community, we talk in terms of not retaliating, not holding a grudge or resentment or bitterness ever. In the shallow waters of my day, I can hold a grudge when someone cuts me off in traffic. We need to head to deeper water in our day-to-day -day lives in forgiveness, wherever it arises. It always arises in ordinary times, ordinary relationships, ordinary days, as relationships strain, as resolve fails, in this very tense and hostile world. Deeper water also calls us to face suffering and death and be transformed by Easter hope when there isn't a lily in sight. In his autobiographical Look Homeward Angel, Thomas Wolfe tells of that moment when his chief character, Eugene, sits at the, the bedside of his dying brother. Eugene, like Thomas Wolfe himself, had left his boyhood faith, had gone to college, had adopted the prose of a skeptic and a cynic, and had utterly forsaken the Christian faith. However, as he sits by the bed of his dying brother, he's confronted again by faith. Wolfe writes, Eugene did not believe in these things, but he was afraid they might be true. He thought that no one but he could pray for Ben now, all that he had read, all the tranquil wisdom he'd learned in his philosophy courses, the great names Plato, Spinoza, Kant, all that left him now. Now he must pray frantically as long as a little ebbing flicker of life remained. When all is said and done, it's our relationship with the risen Christ 
more than the dry doctrines and creeds that gives us hope that we turn to at the last. Such living requires us to put our nets down in the deepest water we can. For the day will come when we will all be thrown into the depths. We need to be ready for that day. Deeper water also leads us out into a world of need to help save women and men alive for living the fullness of God's good news. Among the many, many implications for that, we need to go deeper in how we view success. Success is among the shallowest places in our culture. We reduce success so often to a house or a job or a car. We're told success hinges on a promotion or a college acceptance letter, but it doesn't have to be that way. Deborah spent many years running the street consumed by prostitution and drugs. Deborah's chaotic and out-of-control life was her birthright. She got her mental illness from both of her parents. Her mother taught her to steal as a teenager. During her years on the streets, Deborah ran up over $20,000 in emergency room bills. She was arrested a dozen times a year, often spending 100 days a year in jail. Deborah's life changed on a cold November day a couple years ago when she realized she needed to change her life or die on the streets. Her shallow living was literally killing her. Deborah ran into a member of a church who introduced her to others, who introduced her to a shelter at the church. They provided not just a bed and a meal, but round-the-clock care and connection. The catch was she'd have to be clean and sober. She had to stay on her medication. She had to find a legitimate source of income. It's been a difficult year for Deborah, but she has found success. Deborah's success, though, is measured by a very different yardstick than most of us. Success is that Deborah has not been arrested in 12 months. Success is that she has not woken up in an emergency room or a detox unit in a year. Success is she's stabilized her medications. Success is she's been working, cooking for that shelter. Deborah's success, of course, came from her own hard work, but also with the help of church folks who were willing to go deeper in the risky enterprise of bringing life to the dead. Since Jesus' call that day on the boat near the shore was to go deeper in whatever is ordinary for us, then we need to go deeper in how we spend our time. Dan Little was a Presbyterian minister who died a couple years ago. He left behind such a luminous web of friends and colleagues. Shortly before he died, he was asked to reflect on his faith journey and how his, his thoughts about faith had changed. He wrote, what I care about more deeply, hospitality in a world of rejection and exclusiveness. Instances where the church loosens its grip on safety and familiarity in order to make contact with the world around us and to let that world contact us. What I care about less, propositional orthodoxy as the essence of faith, the institutional survival of the church. What I am more indignant about, certainty that is arrogant and condemning in the name of Jesus, 
how language is used increasingly to con instead of clarify. And what I see more clearly, our relation to God is nine parts mystery and one part understanding. God's love is for the entire world. How I live is a better indicator of my faith and my beliefs. Fear is a low-grade infection driving our nation and church. Worship is the church's unique and powerful art form, but we have allowed it to be limited to our tastes. And because we know God in Christ, faith is an available treasure every single day. By the grace of God, Dan Little learned to go deep. By the end of his life, he was fishing in the deepest waters he could find, which can happen to every single one of us if we have the courage to sort what we care about more deeply and what we care about less and what we're indignant about and what we see more clearly. And then change the way we live so that we might save women and men alive for the work of God in the world. Why do we resist going deeper? I know I do. I assume you do. Even when I see it, why do we resist the call to deeper? Why did those disciples spend the whole wearying night fishing in shallow water when they knew they weren't going to catch anything? Why do we settle for a shallow way of life when it lacks any fulfillment or purpose? U2's Bono gave an interview several years ago where he reflected as a person of deep Christian faith on his relationship with organized religion. In part, Bono said, it's true. I often wonder if religion is the enemy of God. It's almost like religion is what happens when the Spirit has left the building. God's Spirit moves through us and the world at a pace that can never be constricted. I love that. You know, it says in the Scriptures that the Spirit moves like wind. No one knows where it comes from or where it's going. The Spirit described in the Holy Scriptures produces much more anarchy than any established religion gives credit. Do we resist deeper water because things can get unsteady so far out into the deep? Remember, Jesus never asked anybody to simply think about him or agree with him, William Willimon has written. I think this implies that the church makes a big mistake in presenting the Christian faith as a set of principles or a set of ideas to agree with. We ought to present Christian faith as a set of practices, the things we do, a way of life, something that we take up and follow, a way of following behind Jesus of Nazareth, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. And what we need to practice is a way to live deeper. Some of the most beautiful music ever composed was played on a cold January night in 1941 in an unheated barracks in Stalag 8, a German death camp. It was composed by a prisoner at the camp. His name was Oliver Messien. He was a devout Christian, and he wanted to compose some music that would say, even in a death camp, that the forces of oppression and evil do not keep followers of Jesus from living deeply. He was tired of the shallowness of the hop, two, three, four beat of the jackboot. 
And so he composed a quartet for the end of time. Based on the word of the angel in the book of Revelation, all fragmented and broken and hopeless and shallow time has been gathered into the time of God. How do you compose music like that? Well, the meters and the rhythms are all irregular. The musicians cannot play in, a, in splendid isolation, simply keeping orderly time. They have to attend to one another. They have to work together. They have to play as an ensemble, almost like being out in a boat in deep water and needing the help of the other boat to bring in a big catch. In fact, right on the score where most composers would have written, play slowly or play rapidly, Messiaen wrote, play tenderly, play with ecstasy, play with love. And it was played in the middle of a death camp, a place with God for people willing to risk to go deeper, to save one another alive for the work of God in the world. Look, there is no abundant catch to be had for any of us, not for you, not for me, not for us together. No abundant catch in shallow water. That means going deeper with our time, our forgiveness, our money, our attention, our passion, our service, our learning. I don't know what um, water you're planning on splashing around in today but I urge you to find the deepest possible pool. The deepest place I know is this table that is set before us. Today, in a few moments, we're going to come to this table. I invite you today, as you come here, to risk going deep with God, starting here. And as you line up and you start coming down, I want you to come, if at all possible, as tenderly as possible. Come with the ecstasy that you're in the presence of God. Come in love. And then coming from this table, filled up to your depths. Go as deep with God as you possibly can.